0: Light still back there that uh, plugs into a socket. Uh, He doesn't have that. you go find me a lamp that does? Just, it doesn't have to be intricate or crazy. It could be in the bookstore, even maybe one of the bookstore folks can help you. I just need something that plugs into one of these outlets and then light shines. So a lamp, something like that. Yeah. I I thought you were going to get me one there, Brian. But anyway, okay. All right. All right, let's take our Bibles, turn over to the book of Isaiah tonight, Isaiah chapter 9. I'd intended to get one. I I thought I knew where one was, and and I forgot to grab it on the way. I didn't have any money to pay for it, so I thought I'd leave it there. But anyway, you guys are sleeping, aren't you? Yeah, you're sleeping already. Okay. Okay. Let's look at this passage over here in the book of Isaiah chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. Uh, It's going to be a familiar passage as we uh, look forward to getting into Christmas here. Notice what it says, nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation when at the first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, and afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan and Galilee of the nations. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. Thou hast multiplied the nation, and not increased the joy. They joy before thee according to the joy in harvest, and as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For thou hast broken the yoke of his burden, and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. For every battle of the warrior is with confused noise, garments rolled in blood, but this shall be with burning and fuel of fire. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. The increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with the judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. I want to focus our attention on verse 6 tonight. Notice it says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Again, we're quickly approaching Christmas, and it's only a matter of weeks away. It's really hard to believe, isn't it? Christmas is only weeks away. That just uh, is beyond comprehension to me. It seems like we just entered 2012. Seems like we just uh, had a new year, not a new Year's service, but we just celebrated New Year's, and now here we are. At the close of the year. You know, it seems somewhat of a cliche, but the reality is, is that the older you get, the faster it goes. And young people hear that all the time, and they're like, oh boy, I've heard that a million times. But it's all too true. It really is. And they often say, once you graduate high school, time just seems to really take off. And, uh, you know, obviously, when you're in high school and in school, it seems like it drags on forever. But once you graduate high school, I'm telling you, it goes so awfully fast. If you think life goes fast now, young people, I promise you it is a blur later. But we are looking at a new year already, and we're quickly approaching December the 25th, which is a day that we recognize the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, some are going to simply recognize a babe in a manger, others a virgin-born son. And Then there'll be those who, like you and I, will recognize that he is Emmanuel, God with us. And so this coming of Christ was prophesied a number of years prior to his actual coming. The passage in which we're reading is almost over 700 years before the Lord is born. And yet we have a very a very, um, a very, good picture of his character and his person. The Lord outlines who He is and what His purpose and what his will, a will for his life will be Seven hundred years ago, the prophet Isaiah wrote of Jesus, who would be born that day. The words which he penned, of course, were not his own isn 't it amazing when you talk to people how many people believe that men wrote the bible and uh, you know I understand I guess with the uh, the blinded mind of the lost soul, I understand. You can bring that up if you like. The, the blinded mind of the lost soul, we see and understand why they would possibly think that or come to that conclusion. But it's almost amazing to me when we do consider this book and how it's all been put together and everything. It doesn't even need plugged in, brother. That'll be great. Thank you very much. When we consider all of that, it's, it's, very, uh, um, it's just hard to imagine that this book just happened, isn't it? It just couldn't have just happened. I mean, this writer Isaiah, he didn't wake up one morning and decide, "Mm, I think I'm going to write about someone that's going to come one day named Messiah and ultimately call him Wonderful Counsel, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He didn't concoct this fairy tale in hopes of his name being uh, transcending time and being remembered throughout the ages. That's not why this passage is here today. These aren't the words of a mere man. He didn't search his soul and seek a creative spark in which to impress his colleagues or earn the Writer of the Year award. No, this, this writer here literally received word from heaven. He wrote or penned the very words that God himself desired on this page. And when he speaks, he speaks of one who will come and ultimately deliver his people. And He speaks of Jesus Christ. Second Peter chapter one, verse 21. The Bible says, "For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost." Listen, we believe that this book is inspired by God. It is God breathed. We don't, we don't in any way believe that God just somehow told people, go ahead and write about stories, the things that you've experienced, and just go ahead and write it down as you saw. No, we believe that God literally breathed these words, that they're His words. And every single one of them is equally important. We understand that some Bibles ex- accentuate the very words of Christ while He was on earth and read and things like that. But in reality, every single word is God's. And we are grateful today to have a book we call the Bible, the Word of God. And in that book, we receive tremendous instruction, encouragement, and help. And in this particular passage, as we make our way to Christmas, we recognize and we realize that the Jesus who was born in that manger is more than just another child. He was literally God himself in flesh, and he came to fulfill a very important purpose. In our particular passage, he's given some names. He's described by those names. He'll be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And tonight I want to take just a few minutes and I want to look at each of those names and I want to just consider them for a few moments. That's all. And then I guess I want to do that by way of just kicking off this season. Saying this is what Christmas is really about. This is who Christmas is really about. In the hustle and bustle of our day and age and the, the lights and the, um, just the, the overwhelming pressure to buy presents and get to the store first and, uh, you know, make sure that Christmas is filled with all kind of jubilee. And jubilee meaning presents. I want us to remember there is no greater reason for Christmas than Jesus himself as we say Christmas begins with Christ and the truth is it ought to end with Christ and I I I guess if there's one thing that seems to, to grieve me even the older I get is how really commercial Christmas is and and how it's really has nothing to do with the Lord anymore as a whole it has everything to do with Black Friday for at least a week or two straight now I mean are you kidding me you know Black Friday's now you know I don't know, dark Thursday evening, I, I don't, you know, I don't know, it's it just, isn't it unbelievable, and, and let, me, let me just, let, can, I, can I just say this, please let me say this, you are, and I'm just going to be as plain as I can be tonight, I'm going to be so plain right now that you're, you're going to either love or hate me for this, you are a plain fool if you go into debt for Christmas, you're a fool. Well, I just want to do good. I want to do right by, do right by your family by staying out of debt. Amen. Next thing you know, you'll stop tithing because you want to have a good Christmas. Next thing you know, you'll not give the building fund anymore. Next thing you know, you'll stop giving the faith promise because you want a good Christmas. What, something that's going to be wasted? A week later, the kids will forget you even bought it. We, like we don't have enough already. I mean, let's face it, folks. The money we spend on Christmas is wasted most of the time. It's given to people who have everything they want anyway. You say, boy, you're a Scrooge today. (laughs) I, I guess I am a little bit. But what I find is that gifts of the heart are much more important than gifts that cost the wallet. Think about things that people will appreciate. Maybe it's not buying a gift, maybe it's making one. Maybe it's just a note you'll write to someone that will truly make all the difference in the world. I I would imagine there are some wives in the room that would probably melt over a card that was genuinely written from the heart from their husband than buying them a $100 bread maker. Just thought I'd throw that out, fellas. Save you a hundred (coughs) bucks. You say, well, I won't get no homemade bread. You ain't going to get it anyway unless you make it. Who <laughs> are you kidding? <laughs> All right. Well, we haven't even gotten to the message, and we're having fun. Let's get to it. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you again for this day. Lord, there's a good, a good group of believers assembled here tonight. And when I say good, I mean, Lord, in my heart, to yours. I want to thank you for each of them. And Lord, there's no doubt that they are striving to please you with their life. They wouldn't waste their time being here tonight if they didn't mean that, didn't want that. Tonight, Lord, we want to honor you. We just want to hear about you. We want to learn about you. We want to know you better. Help us to keep perspective in this holiday season. Lord, uh, it's wonderful. It is fun, and, and I like to buy gifts, too. I I really like receiving them, and I I just love the the whole thing. It's exciting. You can't wait. The anticipation sometimes is wonderful, and for children, it's just unbelievable. And Lord, those things are all good. There's nothing wrong with that, but help us, Lord, not to forget that our greatest anticipation ought to be you. Lord, our greatest desire should be to give to you. Lord, help us, Father, to truly be grateful and thankful for the wonderful Christmas over 2,000 years ago that literally changed our eternity. Thank you for loving us that much. Bless us tonight now. Help us, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. If you tell me you don't like to get gifts, you're not telling me the truth. But anyway, some of you when I said that laughed. I could hear you. I was in the spirit, but I still heard you down here on earth while I was up there. <laughs> Wonderful. Wonderful is that first title. Isn't that a great name? I mean, don't, I mean, every guy in the room wants to hear his wife say, hey, Mr. Wonderful. We'd be like, yes. Wonderful. Well, that's what the name of the Lord is here. His name shall be called Wonderful. Man, that name, Wonderful, certainly expresses, I believe, the goodness of Christ. You think about how good the Lord Jesus Christ is. It's in Christ that we find everything that is good. I mean everything. Someone says, well, there's a lot of other things that you can find good in. I know, but if they have any good in them, it's because he put it there. Everything about goodness is about God, because every good gift cometh down from the Father of Lights. In Matthew twenty-one fifteen, the Bible says, And when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the Son of David, they were sore displeased. I mean, these chief priests, they did not appreciate the fact that Jesus Christ was doing all these wonderful works. And they certainly didn't appreciate the fact that these young children were running through the temple, crying, Hosanna to the Son of David. They were so jealous of God. So jealous of Jesus Christ. You know what? It is a pitiful shame. Listen closely now. It's a pitiful shame when a husband or a wife is jealous of God. You say, what do you mean? I mean when your wife loves Jesus so much that you resent that love. And you want that love instead of her giving it to him. That's pretty bad. Let me tell you something. It happens all the time in Christianity. Husbands jealous of God's love or their wife's love for God Wives jealous of their husband's love for God. Almost as if they act like God is stealing the love that they deserve. Well, there's plenty of love to go around. Let me tell you something. You will never be as loved as you can be loved by someone that loves him. You're cutting your own throat when you expect or ask a wife or husband to stop being so devoted, so committed, and so ...in love with the Lord Jesus. All you're asking them to do is to stop loving. And if they stop loving, don't think for a moment it won't affect your love. Be very careful. On the other hand, let's be honest too. We need to be very, very careful that we do not allow ourselves to neglect... ...those that God has placed in our watch care. There's no, no place for neglect. But that's normally not the case... As a whole, though there are cases like that, but I do believe they would probably be more of the exception and not the rule. So here's the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's described as doing wonderful things. And there's no doubt everyone in the room could attest to that fact, could we not? That the Jesus, Jesus that I know, the Jesus you know, did some wonderful things in your life, in your marriage, in your family. See, the Lord's just so good. He's good in forgiving our sins. He's good in forgetting our past. He's good in favoring our person. He's good in forging a brighter future on our behalf. Jesus is simply wonderful, folks. I read about a man by the name of Bob Pierce. Bob Pierce, he had advanced leukemia. But even though he had this advanced leukemia, he he chose to visit a colleague in Indonesia before he died. So he made the trip to Indonesia... And as he and his friend were walking through a small village, they came upon a very young girl lying on a bamboo mat next to the river. She was dying of cancer herself, and she had only a very short time to live. Bob was visibly upset by the picture that he saw as there she lay beside that river on that bamboo mat. He was so upset that he he began at that point to demand to know why in the world she wasn't in the clinic. Why wasn't she under the watch care of doctors? But his friend explained that she was from the jungle and that she wished to spend her last dying days next to the river where it was cool and very familiar to her. As Bob looked upon that young woman, he felt such compassion for her there that he got down on his knees in that mud and he took her hand in his and he began to stroke it. Although she didn't understand a word he said, he prayed for her. And afterwards, she she looked up into his eyes and she said something. He had no clue what she had said. And he looked at his friend and he said, what did she say? His friend said, well... She said, if I could only sleep again. If I could only sleep again. It seemed that her pain had been so great that it hadn't allowed her to get any rest or any sleep. She could only lay there in agony by that river where she would die. Bob began to weep and then he reached into his pocket and he took out his own sleeping pills. Remember, he had advanced leukemia himself and struggled to rest. And there he took those pills, the ones that his doctor had given him for his pain, he handed that bottle to his friend, and he said to him, You make sure this young lady gets a good night's sleep, at least as long as these pills last. He was ten days away from the nearest place to have his prescription filled. And so for ten days, Bob would be miserable. But his heart could not stand to see her suffer. So he was willing to suffer her. And you know, that's how wonderful Jesus Christ was for you and I. He saw us there dying in pain and suffering. Yet he took his place on Calvary, our place. He suffered and died so that you and I could find relief. Tonight, we serve a God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is wonderful. So wonderful to us. You don't know what good is till you know Jesus Christ. And you know, sadly enough, if we're not careful, we go through life passing people by, forgetting that reality. Forgetting that you do not know what good is till you know Jesus. The world may offer its trinkets and its fool's gold, but the Lord extends every treasure to His children. Anything outside of Christ is just counterfeit. It's not real, it's not genuine, nor is it eternal, but rather it is superficial, temporal, and that which fades away. Jesus Christ, He is wonderful. Not only is he wonderful, but the Bible goes on to say he is counselor. Counselor. Of course, when we think of a counselor, we think of one who offers guidance, don't we? So, as counselor, he is, we receive the guidance of Christ. In Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, some of you young people may be able to quote it. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct Thy paths. You know, our outlook is very limited by our lack of insight, our lack of understanding, and even our lack of knowledge concerning the future. We can't see past today. Very limited. And you know, this guidance that the Lord offers us comes from one who sees beyond the sunset, who sees into the future. It comes from one who not only knows every tomorrow but also possesses the resources in which to provide for that tomorrow. As believers, we cannot allow ourselves to become dependent upon or rely upon our own wisdom or our own counsels, nor can we rely upon the counsels of those that are lost and unregenerate. There's no doubt that at times they can offer what seems to be appealing advice. But we need to be ever mindful, you can never forget for one moment, that their perspective is rooted in a heart that is without God. D.L. Moody, the famed evangelist, he told this story at one of his meetings. He spoke about, he said that one evening just before Christmas, a man was walking through the street in an eastern city. The store windows were all beautifully decorated. He observed three little girls there, standing intensely interested in one of those windows, just standing there, just glued to that window. He, he discovered that the girls and the girl in the uh, the center was was a blind girl; she could not see. And the other girls were trying to somehow describe the beautiful things in the window in which they peered into. They they would say things like, "Can't you see that teddy bear and that that doll? Just look at that pretty pink bow." But the poor little girl stood with a blank expression on her face, and she couldn't appreciate the beautiful things in front of her. Now, said Moody to the crowd, this is an illustration of the effort we Christians are making to arouse the unconverted to an interest and delight in spiritual things. The reason we can't do so is because the sinner is spiritually blind. I want you to think about what he just said there. He said that you and I, as we seek to spark the interest of the unsaved, we try to convince them of how beautiful the things of God are, the things of Christ are, but all along they are blind, and they cannot see even of what we speak. Moody had scarcely concluded when a reporter was on the platform asking where he had heard that story. Well, said Mr. Moody, I... I read it in one of those daily papers. Um, I've forgotten in which one. Then the reporter said, I'm the one who wrote the story because I was there and saw the whole thing. I see now that I'm just like that little girl, spiritually blind. And that man was converted right then and there. Isn't that awesome? You know, we can't make the mistake... Of allowing those that are spiritually blind to guide us in this life. You gotta be careful. I mean they don't even know the beauty of our Savior, they don't even know how wonderful He is, they can't possibly comprehend how wonderful it is to be a child of God, and yet we often, if we are not careful, we seek their earthly wisdom, their perspective, their insights. Now do not misunderstand, I'm not saying for a moment that there aren't things that the unsaved say that are not profitable to us. However, let me say this, as a believer we have a much better and much more faithful counselor. And his name is none other than Jesus Christ. Christ offers us light, Christ offers us hope, Christ offers us confidence... In Psalm 27, 1, the great psalmist says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? You know, we need to discard Dear Abbeys and Ann Landers and Ask Caroline. And we need to direct our attentions to the wisdom of God. To the will of God. To the, to the, 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 the ways of God which are found in the Word of God. The ungodly attitudes, those earthly perspectives and mindset of our days is is not the well that God intends us to dip into for our counsel. And God himself has provided us with a tremendous sea of knowledge. He's given to us advice and he freely gives to us all, at least those who will draw from it. you brought a Bible to church, the well is before you, possibly in your very hand today. And so often we discard this well and we dip into the polluted wells of this world for the advice. We speak of the internet, the information highway, higher learning, education, But who or what can improve on perfect insight and understanding? That's what Christ offers to each of his children. He's called counselor. He offers us divine guidance in our lives. You know, I visit the hospitals on a number of occasions. I'm always at the hospital here or there usually. Uh, One of the other hospitals, there's a number of them in our area. But um, what I do is when I, I go to the hospital, I... I you know, often find who I'm visiting, I do this, I do that, I'll pray with somebody and then I'll leave. But I've noticed that in the hospitals as you go around corners, there's always, it seems like almost in every situation, there's this like round mirror. <clears throat> You've seen the round mirrors right on the corner. It's kind of interesting, you know, if you don't, if, if you don't um, force yourself to look at them, you don't look at them you've you got to get used to doing it. You've got to train yourself to recognize and see that. And when you're walking down that hall and you see that, you, sometimes you look at it and then you look away and you're like, oh, I've got to kind of see where I'm going around this curb. No, the, the truth is, is that that round mirror enables you to see around the bend. It enables you to see something coming the other direction that you are blinded to presently so that you don't walk right into somebody pushing a cart with a person on it. Or you don't trip over a couple nurses or doctors making their way bristly through the hallway. No, it enables you to see around the corner and down the hall so that you don't run into a mess. And may I say today that that is exactly what Jesus Christ's guidance and counsel is all about. He enables us to see around the bend. He enables us to see places we could never see before. The fact is, is that your vision and my vision is limited by our finite minds. But the Lord Jesus Christ sees around the bend. He sees into the future and he knows what's coming long before you and I can ever even imagine what's around the corner. I need that guidance. And so do you. His name is Counselor. But not only that, he is called the Mighty God. That's a good name, isn't it? The mighty God. In that title, we can't help but notice the power of Christ. The power of Christ. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 18, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. All power. Jesus Christ is all-powerful. He is also the mighty God. And He alone created all things. I love the passage in the book of Colossians. Turn there if you would, Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. I love the passage because it identifies Jesus Christ as a very unique God. As the only God. Notice what the Bible says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. For by Him, referring to Jesus Christ were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Now that's power. To create the universe and everything in it, that is power. And when I think about my world in which I live, I think about my little world. You know, my little house and my little car and my little family and my little problems. I can't help but imagine and think of a mighty God who created all of it. All of your little problems and all of your little families and all of your little issues and things. And take it all and just put it all together and he's still bigger than all of it. If God can create the universe, He certainly can enter my life and enter my marriage and enter my home and enter my family and make an impact and a difference. He is the mighty God. And being mighty, His power is quite able and sufficient. Who can forget His many miraculous miracles? You read through the New Testament, or at least through the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. and amazing as you read through those passages. And you just marvel at the miracles that Jesus Christ performs. I mean, the maniac of Gadara. You've got to love that one. I mean, the cleansing of the ten lepers, the feeding of the five thousand. Jesus demonstrates his power over nature as he turned the water into wine, as he walked upon the water, as he cried, peace be still. And calmed the raging storm. His divine power was alive and well. As he cried, Lazarus, come forth. And he obeyed and stepped out of the tomb. But there was no greater power demonstrated by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Than when he rose the third day from that tomb. Because he rose again the third day, you and I have the power to not only live eternally, but to live victoriously. Amen. The Bible tells us in the book of 1 Peter that not only are we saved, but we are secured by that power. Who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. That power that saves, secures, also sanctifies us to live and to serve Him. In 2 Corinthians thirteen four, For though He was crucified through weakness, yet He liveth by the power of God. For we also are weak in Him, but we shall live with Him by the power of God toward you. There's no believer that can overcome sin in their life without the supernatural power of Christ. It just doesn't happen. And too often we're trying to look to some kind of three step, four step, ten step, twelve step plan or program. What we need is a complete and total dependence on the one who is called the mighty God. I like the, I had, I've got to use it now. I mean, Brother Kavanaugh was running all over. He probably. Got a five-finger discount, and they're probably chasing him now. He's, oh, I think he's gone to the church. He'll probably be flashers here any moment outside. We carting him out with handcuffs, but we got the message across. It's all that matters. <clears throat> See, the presence of Christ is the key to great power. It's the key to perpetuity in the ministry. It's that power that you and I possess today because of what Christ did. Now, I don't know why in the world there's 150 feet of cord here, but I think this will do. Watch this thing not even work. But that's that power that we have available to us, you know, the power that says, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature? That power... To be saved, that power that secures, that power that sanctifies, that power that enables us to fulfill the very work and the call of God in our life and in our ministry is available to us even as it was available to them back 2,000 years ago. I hope these work. Those lights are on. They should work. Okay, we have that. Now we're, we're at the year, you know, let's face it. We're, we're, we're up here in the year 2000, uh, back in what? AD 30 Jesus' day but you know what you can move back and forth in time it doesn't matter where you go in time the power is always available some little kid will probably come here and stick their finger in here oh look at that did you see that we have some quality stuff in here anyway it's working see that anywhere in this room anywhere there's a plug you're going to find there's what power And let me tell you something, it's important to recognize that because sometimes what we've done, here we go again, yeah, well anyway, there's power. (laughs) Plug that in back there, plug that in because I got to make sure they know it's.